This is where Atlanta soul at this particular point in time, hip hop rules meets the Nashville sound. The and hits everywhere in between. Ellen Fitz talking music. L. Talking. And Fitz. We are back with the most creatively named podcast in all of the land. L. And Fitz talking music. Back by nobody's demand but our own. And she's sitting next to me. Yeah. Looking so beautiful. L. Duncan, Jason Fitz. It's Ellen Fitz talking music. And this is sort of a send-off episode uh, for Elle, because uh, for anyone that uh, doesn't see her on SportsCenter or on Snapchat, uh, Elle, Elle, you are uh, you are about to be with child. You are yes, about to I have a- not just simply let myself go. I, uh, <laughs> no, have- that's me. I'm the one that's <laughs> let myself go. Uh, but but I, I feel like it's just, what, what do they call it? Like sympathy weight? Uh, when yeah, 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 yeah. It's not, it's not Omar. It's me. Like yeah. we work together a lot, exactly. and, I, and I like cheese. So this that. is just happening. So That's it's perfect. Uh, it's no, perfect so together. last week we missed you. Um, but if you missed last week's episode, go check it out. Very Nashville based, uh, and I will say again, the most open, honest, and cool interview I've ever heard from Rascal Flats, mostly because I did it. Uh, but we're we're glad to have you back, and I'm especially glad to have you back today because. Uh, one of the things we love is that we don't stay on one genre around sure. here. We bounce everywhere. And this is a very Atlanta-focused episode of Ellen Fitz talking music. ATL. Yeah, like people nowadays think about Atlanta rap and they think like Future and 2 Chains. Even even to some people like old school um, Atlanta rap would be like Ludacris and T.I. Um, and things like that, which is, is is definitely true. But it really all started – Many, many, many years ago with uh, a production company that we're going to talk to here in a little bit. You may have heard like Dungeon Family, um, but we're going to talk to the masterminds behind Outcast and Goody Mob, TLC. Um, they've worked with In Vogue. Like they, they kind of dominated 90s music and early 2000s music and are responsible for some of the biggest hits that you've ever have ever heard. And for me, it's particularly cool because like when people ask me and Fitz, we've had this conversation before and people ask me, well, who's your favorite you know, rapper of all time, right? There's always the ones that come to mind, your pox and your biggies in the world, right? Depending on where you're from. I, my answer is always three stacks, Andre 3000 from Outcast. And that's because not only do I think that like his resume holds up, but because he's left an indelible mark on like my childhood. Like he was who I resonated. Like he resonated with me. We were from the same places. I recognized what he was talking about. Um, and so being from Atlanta, like he just spoke to me in a way that other rappers did not speak to me. I love Pac and I recognize he's one of the greatest and I love his music. However, he resonates to people on the West Coast in a way that that Three Sacks resonates with me. I ask you this, being that from you're from Vegas, you know, as an outsider, I look at Vegas and I think, oh, it's this place that's a hodgepodge of music. People that aren't necessarily from there, but that go there to perform like who influences you when you're in an entertainment type capital like that? That's an interesting question because I will admit there are certain bands in the history of my lifetime I've just rooted for because they are so rooted in Vegas. Imagine Dragons is a current example. They're, they're Vegas boys. And so I root for them. Uh, Cinderella, when I was a kid, like the eighties, the eighties band, band <laughs> yeah. Cinderella, at one point they spent all their money buying houses by the Taco Bells they used to have band practices at. Uh, or or go after band, band practice. Uh, so they bought all these houses and like Vegas was home. I think as a little kid, there was probably it, it's a West Coast influence for me. And even, you know, when I moved to the East Coast in high school, I was still was still very West Coast influenced. So uh, the, the Tupac thing was 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 big for me. And I, I felt like a connection to West Coast. And as a Raiders fan, as a kid growing up, and I've talked about this on some of the other platforms like NWA, all war Raiders stuff. And so, like, I was always going to be into that sort of that sort of music on that side and it's one of the weird 
dichotomies of how I grew up. I grew up on the West Coast, and then I spent my high school year years in uh, a, a predominantly African American part. I mean, PG County in Maryland is it was uh, Prince George. I mean, all of my friends were were listening to that. So yeah. uh, my first record deal was with uh, was with RCA to do a, an R and B project. So like that that was a huge part of my my listening. But West very West Coast influence. It's one of the things that makes hip hop really different than any other genre, though. As much as I could say I root for Imagine Dragons because they're from Vegas, they don't. They don't personify Vegas and what they sing about. Yeah, you know? you it doesn't like you, sound you like a Vegas sound. Yeah, you don't listen to it and think, "Oh man, they're speaking my life." And what what makes hip hop particularly interesting, rap particularly interesting, is that it does actually connect. Uh, you know, not just Atlanta, not just East Coast, West Coast, but even look at Eminem. Like Eminem came out from this, you know, Michigan sort of Detroit feel. And represented a community and an, a, a sort of a section of the country that felt like they hadn't been represented. That's what hip hop does that makes it so powerful. It, you're absolutely right. More than any other genre, like you can listen to, I can play you snippets from 12 different rock bands and you're not going to say, wow, they sound very New York. Like there is none of that. I can tell without knowing specifics of city. I can tell when someone's from Houston. Sure. Specific, you know what I mean? I can tell when you've got a Texas rapper. I can tell when someone's from the West Coast. I can tell when someone's from New York. Um, you, Detroit has its own sound. The South has a totally and completely different sound. And you're right. And I think, too, in, not only in the lexicon, but also when you just listen to what they're talking about. Right. Uh, it's more indelible than anything else because you talk about your experiences. There is a little piece of country that Texas country lives completely separate from regular country music. So if you, you can be a band. Give me an example. Um, the Josh Abbott band is okay. a, an example that they never had a commercial really like number one on, on regular radio, but they make a great living just doing 150 shows around Texas. They play Texas dance halls. It's its own, uh, the sounds a little different. Like, um, a Pat Green, when he came out with Wave on Wave and it was like this, big crossover hit, he actually killed his Texas career because Texas country doesn't believe in mainstream country. Got they want you. they want to stay very sure. separate. You have to make a decision at that point which style you want to be. Do you want to be a dance hall two step sort of country act or do you want to do you want to be Taylor Swift? Right. So there's a but and, and what they sing about might be specific to Texas. But that's a very small sure. and specialized example. I think it's sort of alarming as we went into this conversation today that that doesn't really apply to rock or to, you know, to, to metal. I mean, you think about what metal is specifically. And, uh, you know, I referenced Cinderella earlier. I There was a part of me that grew up as a big 80s hair metal fan. Like I liked, you know, cheesy pop <laughs> stuff. I never got into the hardcore, like Metallica, as hardcore as that was, was never going to be Megadeth, was never my thing. Right. They speak, uh, spoke, and, and current metal acts speak to a generation of people. They might speak to a type of person, but they don't speak to a region of Correct. person. And that's that's the difference in all of this. Correct. Like, right. Like you look back at like when we were kind of coming up and – what became this huge fad as well in my kind of teenage years was grunge music, right? And mm -hmm. Nirvana. They spoke to a certain type of teenager, right? One that felt like an outcast and whatnot, but it wasn't like Seattle specific. Like it wasn't like that's grunge was kind of born out of Seattle. Right. Right. And the but Washington area, but it wasn't like this is Seattle specific because I lived in Florida at the time and like kids in Florida were resonating in the same kind of manner um, with Nirvana that other kids were in other parts of the country too. Yeah. Like you can say that there was the Seattle sound because it was born there, but it sure. wasn't speaking just to that region it was, and it wasn't turning in, turning around and saying, not only is Seattle so great, but screw the rest of the country. And there's a little element we have to remember, especially hip hop it has always had a little bit of territorialism. Like Absolutely. Th there's a piece of it. It's like, 
they're not just proud to be from Atlanta. They want to remind you that they're proud from Atlanta and that everybody else sucks. It's the same thing that we see in sports teams, right? Like it's 100% like you carry and represent your city on your back. Like whether you're like college football, college like SEC, football. you know, yeah, <laughs> like this is our territory and like we're better than you. And like this is, and that's essentially, you're absolutely right. It's the same kind of dichotomy that it is with sports and that, um, it's very specific to it's colloquialism at its best, right? It's like being provincial at its best. You think that your region is better than because again like they are speaking to what you gr- and and they're sharing that on a national audience and it was it was the out it was outcast winning um at the source awards back in like 1995 i believe where they got booed when they won because the source awards was all new york and that's all anybody cared about west coast rap and east coast rap and east coast rap did not mean southern east coast it meant new york right and like mm-hmm. that's all anyone cared about and that was considered you know legit rap like not fun uncle luke you know uncle luke you would have fun at parties <laughs> too but they weren't winning any he wasn't winning any awards right. things like that right like two live crew wasn't going to win an award they were just going to probably get you pregnant probably it's possible was playing when okay there, there's um, a, a you know there's a not podcast appropriate two live crew story <laughs> Uh, about one of their songs that was sampled from an old, uh, earlier song, and my my brother went through a stage where he was listening to a lot of that very loud just to anger my parents, and my mom didn't re- she wasn't listening to the words, so she's walking through the kitchen like singing along with two. She was her. singing Captain D coming. Yeah, yeah. No, there was no there was no point where I was like, hey, ma, listen to the actual words here. Anyway, uh, all of that to say though, you know, Outcast, as, as you pointed out, they sort of had to, to cross over, right? Yeah. And, and there's a crossover moment. And what's really interesting, whether it's country, whether it's hip hop, whether it's metal, any of it, in order to transcend, in order to become something bigger than just Atlanta hip hop or bigger than just Seattle, you know, sort of grunge, in order to transcend, you have to cross over, which brings us to our first guest, because you're talking about a group of guys that have been spectacularly successful in being proud of of what they represent to Atlanta, but also have tasted crossover success with the songs that they've been a part of that not only transcend, but but actually the songs they've worked on completely defined an era of music for seven, eight years that influenced everybody that's making music in any category now, which is incredibly incredibly interesting and rare to see influence and particularly me hey y'all this is jess lee and you're listening to ellen fitz talking music okay so fitz as you know i'm about to have a baby right mm-hmm. and um, me and my husband are both from atlanta my husband is from east point and we were really sad <laughs> we're really sad that our baby's gonna be born in connecticut and not born in atlanta <laughs> i know that sounds crazy but it's the truth and so far our maternity shoot we our idea was to go around certain places in Atlanta to kind of show her that even though technically she'll be born in Connecticut, she will be an AC alien, right? And the first place that we want to shoot is Headland and Delow. And let me tell you wow. why. <laughs> That's because as 90s babies growing up in Atlanta, organized noise, Rico Wade, Sleepy Brown, Ray Murray all on the line with us right now. Like that's where the Dungeon family was created. Dungeon family, Outcast, Goody Mob, all these emblematic names when it comes to Atlanta rap. That's where it all started uh, in the basement of Rico Wade's mama's house. And I'm so excited that you guys are on the line because this is going to be a very Atlanta show. Um, <laughs> and so I'm just warning you right now, like if this ain't for you and podcast listeners, then go ahead and turn it off. Um, but thanks for joining us, guys, because uh, this is huge for me. Like I, you know, I did hip hop radio in Atlanta for a long time and um, and I'm, I'm, I know about the history of, of Atlanta hip hop. And right now for the young people, it's a lot of like 21 Savage, 
which is all and well and good. But Atlanta hip hop has been a thing for a very, 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 very long time. The South did have something to say, and they have for a very long time. And these guys were like the Mount Rushmore of Atlanta hip hop um, and really R&B as well. So thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. I mentioned the Dungeon family for the, and we're going to do a bit of a history lesson here because you might have seen they have a documentary out on Netflix, which is so dope. You definitely want to see uh, that documentary. But for the people that don't know, how the hell did the Dungeon family come together? Dungeon family started, uh, you know, just really friends in the hood, man. Like, you know, saying uh, we were working with certain crews around. You know, saying me and Rico were actually uh, starting our own production company which was called Underworld Productions. And then uh, we were working with a guy named Joe Cohen, and then he ended up meeting Ray, because uh, Ray was friends with Joe Cohen. And uh, met Ray, wanted Ray to be down with us. Uh, luckily, he did. And then from there, we just kind of started doing, uh, working on beats and everything, and just learning, you know, everything about hip-hop. And, and uh, you know, and just having to have great friends that were very talented, you know, like Goody Mob and, uh, actually met Outcast through a, uh, uh, a girl named Bianca that actually worked with Rico. And she used to beg him to, uh, please watch, you know, could you check these, check my friends out? And luckily we did. <laughs> well, guys, I think it's interesting though, cause you, you sort of flippantly say, yeah, we just started working together and, and working on beats. But we got to remember, this isn't a world where you just pulled out your your Mac and you're like, all right, I'm going to go into Logic and I'm going to build some beats. Like, it's not, it wasn't that simple. How did you guys even start the process of figuring out how to get into a studio to build beats? You know what? That's where our relationship really started. It's because Sleepy, Sleepy's father was in, a, was in a band called Brick. He might be, he still got Brick. He's still oh, yeah. touring Brick now. He might, he might change some of the members out. But uh-huh. <laughs> Brick is still Brick. Yeah, but it's still Brick and Jimmy's still the lead. But back then, cause we used to go to the skating ring all the time or whatever, like, you know, and Sleepy um, started, I, started I was driving, started I had a job. And he was like, man, and started I could talk. He was like, man, you be, and so you, adults, adults, um, you can talk to adults. Like, like you can ask my mom to get me to stay over for two days. So he was like, man, you should start, like, managing me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like and I was like, what I got to do? He said, well, first I got to put together a demo. Then you got to shop it. You got to you know, call the labels. He told me to look on the back of the albums and get the, the record companies or whatever and send the demo off to them. But the demo part was what you just said. His his, his father them had a um, a studio that they used to use called 2560 that was off of, um, it was kind of in um, a Ben Hill area. It was kind of, it was county line. That's where it was. But um, but even though it was the family studio, they would give him a discount. And um, that's, when, that's how we first started. I started paying for the studio time. And that's how I started the process as well. Because at that point, I haven't never, at this point, Sleepy made his beats. I had never made a beat before. I didn't know how to make a beat. I didn't even know how to stay on beat. Just yet. Like, <laughs> but, um, so, so Sleepy had a, he had a dream initially, but he wanted it so bad that he made us be a singing group. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was that friend. He was that friend. Like, 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 like I'm going to be an artist, and y'all going to do it with me. I said, I can't sing. But just dance and move your lips. Like, I promise you, this is what he said. <laughs> He said, "He said, move just. He said, just move your lips. I mean, just, just act like you're doing the part." Sleepy, <laughs> it, it's why? So- why sleepy? Why, if you knew that you, that your your co partners in this couldn't do anything, why did you want them to work with you? Why not go for someone that you felt like could sing and do those things? Because we were all brothers, you know what I mean. And and you know, first of all, they could dance. Even my mom could dance because <laughs> I danced with them. So you know, we was already a dancing crew. So I'm like, well, look, man, because Marquez is a singer. 
I could sing. So Jodeci was just Casey and JoJo. You know what I'm saying? He never hear the Vontae. The Devontae swing. That's it. Yeah, you never hear them singing. So you hear them talking. You know. So for us, you know, I just felt like, well, look, man, y'all get dance. You know, we'll stack all the vocals. And then when it comes to the show, we'll figure it out. So, you know, that's how it was. And plus, they actually did learn how to sing. Because one thing I used to do, what was kind of funny, uh, we would be sitting around in the, in the, at the house, man, and uh, this certain song from uh, Sliding Family Stone was uh, Dance to the Music. And I would sing that little that little breakdown part, the little harmony part. And then everybody was singing with me. That's how, they, that's how we all learned how to sing together because of that song. We were singing together laughing, but actually was learning how to do harmony and learn each other out. You know what I mean? I know it well. Doom, 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 doom. Yep, yep. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Yeah, but walk me through that then, because I think one of the interesting things about collaborating in the studio, particularly after you get successful, is you're with your boys and, you know, you guys have a way of doing things, but it's still, there's still compromise all the time. Like, how did you guys manage that as you were working on big projects and everything's growing? How do you manage the fact that you're still there with your friends, but you know that they're wrong and you're right? Well, you know, if it, if it's ever a thing like that, it, it's a, it, I guess it just depends on what it sounds like. You know what I'm saying? Because it was like, you know, prime example, prime, prime, prime example, prime example. We had a friend named Troy. And Troy, you know, we love him to this day, but, you know, Troy really couldn't sing. But he had he was the best looking dude in the group. He was a legend in Atlanta as far as. Like he went to the, the, the MD, like he was like, he was he really was fly. Like he made our group that much more better. But he really, he could sing and practice, but we would be, when we go to the studio, we could never hit the notes when we, when we was recording it. And we were being, we were paying for about an hour. And I remember me being that, like, cow, like, damn, Troy, hit the note. And we got to be honest, like, for everybody that's listening, like, young people listeners don't uh, appreciate, like, now you just get sort of close and they just tune the hell out of it. it, And it's fine. Like, you can make almost anybody sound somewhat good. You could not do that, especially, like, and and it's not, I'm not talking about the 70s. I'm talking about, like, even 10, 15 years ago. You you couldn't, you had to sit there and do it. And I'm telling you, like, even when I was working on projects back then, producers get really impatient. When you can't hit those notes, they just start throwing things and everybody gets angry. It's money down the drain. Uh-huh. So let me ask you this, though, Ray. So you guys are, you know, you're trying to do your own thing. And it's funny because to use it in like sports terms, we always talk about how some of the best like coaches and minds of the game are people who had talent but discovered very quickly that their talent was misplaced. And I'm not saying that it was misplaced and organized noise and like sleepy, you know, I can't wait. It's one of my favorite songs from that era. But um, when did you guys realize very quickly, like how we're going to make our mark is producing other talent? Like what did it take? Well, I mean, you said Ray, but I know you said Ray, but Ray, I don't want to ask. But, uh, <laughs> Ray always quiet. I know. I was trying, that's why I was trying to pull him in. He don't ever talk. I know. I know. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I peeped, and I peeped your little move. That was a little fly. It was that. She called your play, Ray. <laughs> He's like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. good. I'm fine. Go ahead, Rico. We're sleepy. <laughs> but, uh, okay, um, it was Pebbles. Pebbles. Mm. When we got with Pebbles. Because we at that point we done got close. At that point we felt like we was almost in to where, like, and and we got the audition. We, had, we got a second audition with her. Because the first time, in fact, the first time we auditioned with her, we, we um, Troy was with us. We felt like he went at his best, so we put him out the group. You know what I'm saying? We put him out the group and we she went. Told yeah, she, she told us to put him out the group. We put him out the group and we got another guy and put him in. So, so at that point we already getting evil. 
<laughs> already. The brother. The brotherhood is already starting to change. Like, like, like. Let's see, what can we do to be better? And then once, and once that happened, I was like, "It's really me and Ramon. Y'all need some more singers." You know what I'm saying? Just, just the reality kicked in of us being like, "You know what?" But we end though, because because Pebbles liked us. Like, like, like Pebbles literally liked me. She, she was like, she was like, "You know what? I don't know what you gonna do, but you hype. People gonna like you. Like, like almost like." She made me believe in, in like, because I talk fast, I stutter, and she she thought that was just passion. She loved it, and that and she introduced me to L.A. Reid. And then she didn't know that she didn't know that I introduced Tion and Lisa to each other. Like I actually helped put TLC together. I took Tion and Lisa to the audition for TLC, like like or whatever. So and and TLC had had already had signed with her, so they didn't they didn't know that I was the one who did it because because she bought the group from somebody. So when she was in her office, she also saw that um. TLC came in was like, oh, that's Rico Pebble. That's the one who it put us together. She was like, and he ain't never said nothing about this. He ain't here with a single group that he's doing. They, they mentioned their name dropped. They said nothing. She just really thought we was. She started good. She started the goodness. She started. I didn't have to be a singer. Like she started too important. Like you know what I'm saying. Like like. And I knew that at that point they were getting rid of people quick. As soon as you get as soon as you get to to L.A. or Pebbles, they want to get rid of whoever you got because they want to start building your career. And that's when um she um. She actually put me on a phone call with MCA Records. Like, this is before we did Outcast, like, because she had a group called PA that we produced. She, she believed in my um, vision of how, what I thought the label, uh, how the artist should be promoted or marketed. And by her giving me that confidence, it was, I was most definitely like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing this thing with them, or y'all. I, I'm going to get over here with Ray. Because Ray had already made that decision, like, I just want to make beats for everybody. Because he was a rapper, and he gave it up. And I was like, I really wasn't really tripping on being in a singing group. But um, but Sleepy wanted it, and that's why you got the I can't wait later. That's why, as a matter of fact, I didn't even realize because Sleepy was always good to me. But but when we did Outcast first album, Outcast featuring Sleepy Brown, every hook, mm-hmm. Crumbling Nerd, um, everything, Players Ball. I mean, besides Big Boy Voice on Ain't No Thing and Claiming Truth, I saw Sleepy to harmonize. He yeah. really went in and did sixteen tracks. He would do four different notes. Then we brought Deborah Chillins in, who we who was the background voice for TLC or whatever. So 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 like when she could come in and her, we heard when you did both of them together, I saw that wow, like 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 not only does it sound idiot food or sound like you know like as big as something that um, Parliament would have put out or whatever, it's sleepy doing it, and and, and nobody in there helping him like like he everybody telling him this note or that note. He doing notes that he hears. Like he asked the was thinking about this one. Ooh, I'm like, damn. Sleepy, he, he didn't have that opportunity with you boys. He didn't have the opportunity. We would, he, he was more happy, having to be a producer a little more. Like, because, you know, it was like, you know, we was making, we was a singing group, or, you know, whatever. So I felt like when he get, when he started doing that part and then Ray was, Ray was making beats every day, then my job was just to kind of be the, um, ooh, I like that one better than I like that one. In my opinion, matter to them. Like, if Rico think that one better, that one probably better. And, we, and it kept cut out the time of, like, how you said, like, when you think you know what's going on and that person don't. We all knew what we knew. Came out of vocals, man, Ray walked off. Like, we'll leave the studio for two or three hours when he started doing vocals. We don't have, we don't have nothing to say to you, Sleepy, about what you should do. Knock it out. And the best part, the best part, guys, as we're we're on the line here with organized noise is like for the people listening, you're hearing Rico kind of describe Fitz, who Sleepy is. Sleepy is like our Atlanta version of like Nate Dog. <laughs> okay, right? I'm just saying. 
I see why your husband from East Point. I really do. But, <laughs> you but, know here's, but, but you here's the point. You can't how, how you know that? <laughs> Here, but here's the question. I mean, because you, you mentioned that, and one of the things that was kind of crazy to us when we were we were sitting down talking about you guys coming on is that as much as organized noise has made this huge impact for L, and it makes a huge impact for for Atlanta. Sleepy, I mean, you want to be an artist, and now you're watching artists go out there, use your hook, and they're getting, like, yeah. dirty rich from it. I mean, let, let's have a real moment. Like, is there is there a moment where you're listening to it and you're thinking, damn, that should have been me? <laughs> hey, man. Hey. That's funny. You know, it's funny. Uh, it's funny when I worked with Pharrell. Pharrell did uh, Marguerite, and we was in the studio, and I, I said, you know what? I said, bro, I only got one problem with you. He's like, what? The dude, you did not call me on a Jay-Z record. Excuse me. <laughs> I said, how dare you do me like that, dog? I said, you know I was supposed to sing that record. And he looked at me, he was like, you know what, Sleep? I actually, bro, actually, I, I was thinking you. And he said, but when Jay came in and heard it, Jay was like, nah, nah, nah. I need my own outcast sound. Ooh. Mm. Sleep just drops his Yep, exactly what happened. So you know, it, it, you know, it's records that I love. You know what I'm saying? Like, like truly love. And my only thing is be like, damn man, I hope they call and do a remix. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. That... Hey, and, and, and what you were saying too, Fizz, is that like, like when Southern Pet, that whole album came out, I could see it. That like, man, we got to get sleepy. I, I know that his voice is out there. He's hearing himself. But I know I know he wanted to be an artist as well, so we did. I can't wait. The outcast wrapped on it. I just in my heart, I kind of felt like like I kind of could breathe. Like like wow, okay. Not that one song would, would, would add up to him doing all the hooks and stuff for them early on because him and Big Boy still tour now because of that. Because of that, he's a part of Outkast. Me and Ray never really went on the road with Outkast. We was busy with doing other artists, but Sleepy had to a lot of the times because he's the voice or whatever. So. So when I Can't Wait came out or whatever, uh, even like, cause even the way you move was big song, but I Can't Wait was like his song. Mm-hmm. Like, it was his video shoot. We was in L.A. and, and they they came out. It was, and to me, it was like one moment, one moment out of 50 that they kind of probably did that I felt in my heart. You know what I'm saying? Not saying that, not saying that, that for him it was enough, but in my heart, I, I, I was looking at the whole scene like, Man, he deserved this, man. But that—that that speaks to what makes you guys like special, right? Like, that speaks to the fact that you are boys because you're looking out for each other on that level. Because I think to your point, yeah, one one moment doesn't make up for fifty, but at least you know your guy got that one moment because damn, he deserves yeah. it. You know? Yeah, yeah, and. and- and like Nate Dogg, like, once again, damn, L, you got a book over there or something. Because he is like the Nate Dogg of the South in the sense of Nate was somebody who was loved, who was looked at as a real soulful singer, but he was riding with a real hip crew. Yes. And he was in the songs he was on with no love songs. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like it, was, it, was, it was like rap music. And that's why I think music has grown now. When you see, once you figure out, once we figured out how to incorporate music in, over hip hop beats and people don't think it was trying to sell out. And once you can sing on a song and people don't look at it like you're trying to be R and B, then you're making music. Then you're not you're not putting in categories now. Because then because if because at one time it was like if you sing it, that's automatically R and B. If you put music on it, it's automatically going on some pop type of stuff or whatever. Now, look, my little cousin Future, because of him being at my house or whatever, like he know about changes, hooks, and he took that ghetto Kirkwood style and started putting melody to it because he understood. That's what that's what was paying the bills around that house. 
with them royalty checks. And they were coming off of songs like Waterfalls, off of Blackberry Molasses, off of In Vogue, off of songs that they had no rap vocals on. You know what I mean? Like, like even though, yes, I get plenty off of Outkast as well, Ludacris, a lot of them, but, but it's more R&B and pop stations than it is rap stations. Wow, you went Blackberry and Molasses. You gotta keep pushing on. I mean, Ellen's um, smiling like a kid like, in Toys R Us right now. you're saying right now is so, so I'm, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Waterfalls. I mean, that was clearly y'all's, like, breakout Kind of that puts you on the map and um, in terms of like your production style. But again, that was on a mainstream type of level, because for those of us that were from Atlanta, like one of my favorite songs is Crumbling Herb. And, and, and I think from top to bottom for Outkast, Equimini is my favorite. But that's also because my favorite Outkast song of all time. And I actually had to play it for my producer, who is you know well aware of the discography of, of Outkast, but wasn't aware of this song. My favorite song of all time from Outkast is Chunky Fire. I absolutely, wow. it's right. Like I, lo- I love that song. It gives me the feels. Do you guys have a song that I'm gonna? Ask, it's a two part question. Do you have a song that you thought would be bigger, like your favorite kind of? Um, underachieving song that you ever produced, and do you have a song that you thought was just I and ended up blowing up? Mm, that's a good one. I think Blackberry Molasses for a fact was something that underachieved, but not not um, in a bad way because he did go like top. I think he went he might have went top five on the pop charts, uh, but I just know that Mister people that because what we was talking about with Blackberry Molasses was so serious. It was that Mister couldn't really. They, they were like cute boys. The people like they life ain't that hard, <laughs> right? Bobby Valentino's cute little butt. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they like they like like it pretty good. <laughs> so, so, so I think that probably didn't all the way connect. But um, God God bless his soul. But when Shakir when Shakir passed away, Blackberry Molasses meant so much more to me. I felt like damn, God damn, when I understood that I just felt like depression, and um, it's, it's for him to be like a, an executive at Def Jam, and I'm like. Then I was like, man, I was like, man, it just like that. That made Blackberry Molasses like me. So it, it made like an anti, because it was always a, a, a uplifting song to me. But it was uplifting if you if, you, if you're feeling down. And, and when we wrote that song, we wouldn't feel it down. But we would get money. Blackberry Molasses was a song that I thought, thought was going to be big because it was because it was. Um, I don't know. I felt like it was touching the soul. But waterfalls really and truly. Um, we didn't, I had no idea, you know what I'm saying? Like, even the way it happened, like, like um, we were in the studio, um, at, um, it used to be called Boss Town there, it's Nankonia now, but it was Bobby Brown's studio, and um, we was in there because, because um, that's what L.A. Reid did, he kept us in the studio quiet, he kept running, he kept us, so we, we couldn't get distracted, almost, I was like, I booked studio for y'all today, so we might be in there working on random stuff, and that day we might have been, because um, it was, Outkast's album had already came out, but, but we were still working on that type of vibe, but we had our musicians in there. And just so happened, the guy Marquez, who's the lead singer of um, of the U-Boys, of the group, he just got off the bus from coming from work at Marriott. And um, and, um, and I just thought, I didn't know what, what, and I didn't even know he was coming up to the studio, studio that day. But he asked me to come outside for a second, and I thought something was wrong, like, I, like was, they needed something. He's like, man, I got this idea, man, check it out. I've been writing on it. And he just found a little melody for um for the hook for waterfalls and me being like, that's my brother. And knowing that we got power, I'm like, shit, come on in the studio. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can stop what we're doing because we, we can do that. Like, <laughs> it's our session. We can do whatever. We should start working on that now. And um, and Ray was already in there messing with a beat. And just so happened, I was, we was just forcing something together. He's like, Ray, what you got? 
He, he just pulled up whatever he was doing. For, and we put it all together right then, man. And even called Tion. Because I, I hadn't even, I hadn't put it, we hadn't been in the studio with her. I hadn't even really been in the studio with her. And, and, and since that, since they became TLC, like, like, like they became TLC, then we end up getting in and we would see each other, but Dallas was their producer. So this is the first time he even called it because it's also the fact Outkast, everybody loving us a little bit more. Like, man, Outkast is dope, y'all. They're like, like, they just loving out what we put, how we rep in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So I might just call Tion, like, yo, come on to the studio. We got this idea. I went, my, my friend would just write, and he went to high school with us too. Like, like she knew Mark Way. I was like, come on up here and sing this uh, idea. And L.A. Reed hadn't even, he didn't even know. Like, he didn't know we was doing it. We, we had to come in, she sung it. Then we called him. And he went so hard for us, man. He went so hard for us from that point. Like, he, because it wasn't contrived, because it wasn't him, because he was so used to paying for stuff, you know what I mean? Like, like, like paying for people to go to the studio. Like, huh, y'all trying to, like, for Usher. I remember he used to always had to get Dallas so much money to try to even ask him to go in the studio just to be focused on something. And for us to call, um, call him and be like, yo, check this out. And it not be from Dallas, but it be for TLC. Man, he was so happy that. But even when Clive Davis was like, this is a great record, but I don't know if you should spend over a half a million dollars on the video. It's not Whitney. And, and L.A. Reid just took that so personal. Like, this is my Whitney. That was his theory. Like, they they, they might can't sing like Whitney, but they're going to be as big. Like, in his mind, he really believed that. And he spent like a million dollars, seven or $800,000 on that video, and had them walking on water, and that really helped propel that, that not just the, the song, but the imagery of making them girls like folk folk artists. And um, their album sales went from, their first album might have sold one or two, like three million. And the second album, that was the second album, was at two, it, was at the, it was at the same amount, two or three million. They put Waterfalls up. They went to like 12 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was the iconic song of the moment. Now, from from guys that, you know, from, from writing and producing it, I'm always curious, like you, you guys said earlier really smartly, there's more pop stations than there are, you know, rap stations, for example. One of the things we always dealt with in country is like if a song crossed over from country music to pop, they would change the whole song. Like they'd take out parts that you played. They'd take out sections of the song. They'd sort of bastardize the thing and then be like, now it's ready for pop. So what's it like for you guys when Waterfalls is just blowing up, but all of a sudden they're doing radio edits that take the rap out. They're doing radio edits that minimize portions of the song. Like That's when I learned. That's when I learned there was more stations that didn't play rap that did because they loved Waterfalls. They loved it, but they say, you know what? L.A. say, hey, man, you got, y'all got to go in and do a version without Lisa. I was like, why? He's like, there's some stations that want to play the record that just don't play well. But I'm what's like, that? And from a producer's do. standpoint, do you just want to say, hey, no? no I mean, no, you. no, up yours. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. not, we're not going to do that. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get this check. Yeah, because that check is nice. <laughs> let's, let's be honest, that check is nice. Nah, I'm not saying that. Because in my heart, I, really, I said exactly what I just said. I said, I listen to, I listen to the content. There are stations that want to play this record that don't play rap. That's true. That's, that, that's more. It's like, so I was thinking that I was going to be on some of those country stations that you're talking about, my brother. Mm-hmm. I was thinking I was going to get on some of those stations that don't play black music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I felt like that, that meant Waterfalls could be like a, um, like a 60s record, like Janice. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we really wanted to be a cult kind of record, and it got a chance to do that. And like you mentioned country, it was an artist that was signed to the face, Tony Rich. Yeah, yeah the Tony Rich yeah. Nobody, the fake baby nobody face. Knows. <laughs> yep, nobody knows it, but yeah. Oh man, that was the thing back in that era of country. Like that was the thing. It's Every, like if it's big and any other genre, let's just have like a, uh, you know, a down home white dude sing it, and then we'll put it out on country <laughs> right. radio. 
they put Tony Rich, nobody knows our country, man. That record, man, was so big. That's when I found out who wrote the record. That's when I started seeing Joe Rich. I, I, I was like, damn, it's your brother. He's like, yeah, he actually wrote Nobody Knows. It's like, okay, you playing Babyface. He playing, you playing Babyface. <laughs> 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 he actually, he writes for you. Like, you think, your voice, and that was hard because you write. It's like, he never was trying to be like Face, but that's why L.A. Reid loved it because he knew how great Face is. Man, I got my own Face now. I got me a Babyface that's signed to to the actual label because Babyface was still putting out music, but he was signed to another label. But um, it's also about the charisma as well. And Tony Rich was just a good old dude. He really would he wouldn't be no lime like kind of person. He's like like three thousand. Somebody who would, would, would prefer put his music out and not even really being seen as much. I was just telling we have organized noise uh, here on the. Uh on the podcast with it, I was just telling my producer, like, Three Stacks is just, a, he's like a real artist in terms of, you know, he loves the musical part of it, but the rest of it he could just keep, right? Like, he doesn't want to do the publicity and all those things. And, again, I'm going to promote people to go and watch your documentary on Netflix, The Art of Organized Noise. It was so good, and especially for someone like me who thought I kind of knew everything I needed to know because I was from Atlanta and I grew up with this. Um, it's really It was really revelatory, but one of the things that you guys talk about in that documentary is how salty uh, you guys were because the one project you didn't work with Outcast on was uh, Speaker Box Love Below, which, of course, gave us, like, Hey Ya and, and Ghetto Music and things like that. With that being said, you also said that you're going to have to work together again to make up for that. They haven't released an album since. Is there a shot in hell that we are ever going to get a damn Outcast project again? Please tell me the good word. Hey man, you know, it's so funny. Sleepy and racing here turned their head sideways. Like, Hold on, Ray from talk now. No. <laughs> no. Not even another outcast album. Oh, Never? So. Oh man. No, so we just learned Ray got one word. No. He's like, no, no. that's no. it. No. Hey, I yep, and I'm gonna come right behind there and say, I just talked to Andre last night, right? <laughs> I just talked to three thousand last night. And, and, and no, and I wasn't gonna talk it's like my thing with three is that I'm not, no, no, I'm not. Like you said, I'm not trying to <laughs> Ray, you sound just like my outcast. wife in the background. No, no, no here we no, go. I'm not, no. I'm not trying to make an outcast record. I just be wanting to. I, I, I like getting 3,000. like the fact that 3,000 be willing to do songs still. Like we got a song, an unreleased song on him that we're going to put out on our, um, on our, um, um, yes. on our album or whatever. And we got like, like the song we did on Janelle Monet that, um, I like that. And we yes. got the song we did with that guy, Sebastian Cole. I sent him copies of those last night because I was on really fast. Like, I'm like, you know what? You can still come rap on some of our music, though, because cause now that's where the, a CeeLo, that's what's one thing about having legends for, for, for partners. But like, like, yes, I would love to do an Outkast album, but realistically, I just like, I, I want to I hear some hot verses. Thank like, you. If I, can hot verse, if I can hit a hot verse over one of our songs that we get published, you know, that's what I really want. So You could do a so whole discography like, on just three stacks appearances. Right, unlike verses that he's laced, yeah. and that yeah. that could yeah. be a discography alone. And Big Boy's still releasing music as well. Listen, fellas, this has been particularly um, uh, eventful for me. I loved talking with you guys, and I'm going to end with one more reference, just because I have to. Jason Fitz, I knew we were going to have an Atlanta show, and I knew we were going to get some Atlanta legends on in due time. Yes. Hey, and that was classic about that. Yeah, that was like my. That was my first time meeting Erica Badu in oh, person. Wow! Because because Big Boy and Dre produced that song and they directed that they directed the video, they directed that video and I remember we all had to go to Savannah and um and um and Casilo was I mean I remember and I was like and I knew about Erica and Dre or whatever but I think that might have been the first time I realized like okay this is gonna be real or whatever so like it can, and that was, and that was a great moment too man like like people don't some of the stuff like 
and that and that was a great video too. Like like, but, but yes, once again, you win. That was a great reference. Like, <laughs> that was throwing some Chris, goodies. That was, that was Chris Chandler. Yes. Like, was <laughs> so Elle's about to go on maternity leave. When she gets back, we're gonna have you guys back on, whether you want to or not. We're yes. gonna have you back on during football season. We'll talk about the Falcons, maybe. Sure. But oh, you guys God, have please. enough stories. Uh, that, that it's incredible, and I, I say this when we get to talk to guys that have the resume you guys have. Y'all have changed music, and yes. that's a, a huge piece of the legacy that you will leave behind uh, no matter what happens from here forward. What you've already done has been epic to the music industry as a whole, so I thank yes. you for your creativity. You're responsible rock. for the soundtrack of my life and so many Atlantans, so seriously, thank you when I say that. That's not an understatement, and uh, it's, it really is like so cool to talk to you guys. And we really appreciate it, man. We really do. And yes, please, let's talk doing Falcon TV. Oh, we're going to. All right, we'll do it. I'm going to call, you, I'm gonna call you when your boy Matty Ice has one of those five-pit games he likes to throw. Oh. Guess, guess what, though? This man, this man was just MVP of the league, man. Ah, uh, so He peaked. He peaked. It was an anomaly, Rico. MVP. It was an anomaly, Rico. And then what'd he do in the Super Bowl? Hey, I'll tell you something. You just don't, you just don't be an MVP. Like, he did great in the Super Bowl. He, he did great no, he didn't. Bowl. Yes, you don't. Did. You don't take that damn sack. You don't Wait, take now, that I'm sack. They I'm with him. I'm with them all day. No. Not with L because no. the fact is, as a Raiders fan, I've watched enough of Jamarcus Russell and Todd Marinovich. Oh, shut up! You had Rich Wait, Gannon. Shut for up. Four, like four good years. So, like four good. Years. Took you to a Super Bowl. I'm forty. Well, Matt, Matt Ryan took you to a Super Bowl. What yeah. you complaining and about? Took, and, then he, and then he took a sack. My, all right. Oh my God. Thank you. Oh, no, no, he didn't take. He didn't take the sack. Hate to say, I love, I love you to death, Jake Matthew or whatever, whatever. I love tackle is. He did that. He did. He did. He did. He did. He, now, he definitely hey, hey, whoever that the play call is, whoever the play call is, the call a five seven or whatever that drop. They should have ran about three times in a row. Thank you. How do you call a seven? How do you call a seven step drop? Okay, listen. This that's for another time or place. I uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks for coming on, guys. <laughs> hey, this is Rascal Flats. Hey, this is Gary. This is Joe Don, and I'm Jay, and, and we're, we're Rascal Flats, not the band Perry. Again, can't say enough how awesome it is to get to talk to iconic people. And, and that's one Great. of the craziest things about the music business because, uh, what's, what's cool is that the Dungeon family is obviously something that a lot of people are familiar with, but there's also a lot of people listening to this podcast right now that are saying, I have no idea who these guys are, but you just heard about some of the most incredibly memorable moments of music from an entire generation. And 100%. that is that is a reminder that you can be incredibly successful and likely filthy rich and still be able to go to the grocery store and and walk around and get your groceries and not have to worry about, you know, sort of fame and and uh, it's interesting and cool to get to talk to people with that level of success. It definitely is, especially for the southern girl. So, we'll we'll take the opposite uh from that to from people that have made it at the highest level. A reminder, we now have a Gmail account. And what's really cool about this is y'all have already started blowing up. It mm -hmm. is L and Fitz talking with no G music. L and Fitz talking music. Talking. L A N D Fitz talking music at gmail.com. And we threw it out there on the Rascal Flats episode. Hey, submit some stuff to us. And we got a ton of emails. Yeah, We're going to sort did. through them. Uh, and, and look, realistically, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that we will get through every one of them the day that you send it, but we will listen to everything that comes into that email account. Uh, and, uh, you know, and try and shout out some of the, the best ones that stand out. So we're just getting through that process. But Kyrie, uh, you, you heard something that already perked your ears up. We heard a little of it, perked our ears up too. Uh, give us one that stood out. So there's a guy in Greensboro, North Carolina named Black Rain, Jermaine Black Rain Wallace. He had an incredible record with, uh, a beautiful open. Like he had a, a singer, uh, that just, Opened the song better than, you know, than you can imagine. And, um, 
His lyrics were on point. The song was mixed. It sound professional. And you can follow him on Black Rain. That's B-L-A-C-K-R-A-I-N-N-C. He's an incredible artist, and I would definitely recommend What's the name of the song? The song is called Black Rain, actually. Okay. All right. So maybe it's on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, we'll look for it on Spotify. Yeah. We'll try and add him to our Spotify playlist. Mm-hmm. And then, again, uh, the Twitter handle, at Black Rain NC. Give him a follow. Check out the music. And that's what we're going to do uh, through this process. We can't. You know, there are these little legal birdies that come sure. through and remind us that we can't actually play it for you on the podcast. That's a rule, not our rule, smarter people than us. But uh, you can submit to us. Uh, remember, it's L and Fitz talking, no G, talking music. L and Fitz talking music at gmail.com. Send us your uh, your favorite stuff. Uh, but, guys, I will say this, and, you know, one of the things Kyrie just pointed out, it's mixed really well. In today's world, uh, this is a conversation that comes up all the time in Nashville where people are like, oh, I'm just going to make a you know, guitar. I'm going to sit down with my guitar and a voice memo, and, and everybody's going to love this song. Nah, like put some work into it. Like if you're going to send yes. us stuff, put some work into it. Make sure it sounds good. Uh, you know, ultimately we're not going to be able to, even if we wanted to forward this to somebody and say, Oh my God, you got to hear this. We can't do that unless it sounds good. Because guess what? And Fitz being in the music industry for so many years can attest to this. Things have changed. People do not want projects. They want nope. to know, they do not. They want to be able to take what is somewhat a finished product. That just needs a little bit of, of rounding out around the edges and go. And so, you know, recording something on like your, your iPhone on the iPhone, like notes section of your phone and sending it in is just not going to work. And again, it's not us that's saying that these are going to be like label executives and whatnot. So if yeah. we shout you out and someone happens to be listening, what you don't want is them to listen and be like, okay, this quality's crap. Yeah. And you know, I, I had lunch last week when I was in Nashville, uh, with a huge producer that's a, been a friend of mine for years and, is behind a ton of the big Grammy award winning and, and CMA award winning uh, artists uh, that that are out there right now. And as we were sitting at lunch, I even asked him in that point, I'm like, hey, people are still asking me, are we in a world now where you can just send a guitar demo, like guitar vocal doesn't necessarily sound great, but the song will come across. And his answer was quickly, hell no. Yeah. I mean, it was hell no, because it, it's the opposite. Now it's like, man, in today's world, you weren't even willing to sit down at your computer and try. I right. mean, there has to be. They've There's made, software now. Right. Uh, between GarageBand and frankly, yeah. like dive into GarageBand or, or any of those equivalent softwares, you can build tracks. Correct. It, it, people want to see effort. So, yeah. So we want to see effort too. At Ellen Fitz, talking music, uh, it's important. Well, it's been a pleasure, Fitz, because I am going to be gone for a few weeks. I'm going to go drop this kid off right quick. Mm, um, I'm just going yeah. to have a. I'm going to pop a kid out right quick. You decided on the name Jason? Uh, no, it is oh, a girl, okay. and I right, right, right. I was going to be Jason yeah, either no. way. J a y s o n. Yeah, maybe middle name, but no, because okay. I have a middle name already too. Her name is Eva. 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 Eva okay. Rose. Eva Fitz. Eva Rose. Eva Jason. So oh, okay. that's probably awkward for my husband to like name somebody that I work closely with. For his baby girl. That, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and and your husband me. is a prince of a, uh, a human being. I yeah, really, I really like your husband. So never mind. Uh, you guys, I'll settle for the second one. You that's, can name okay, the next one. Perfect. Right, yeah. Right. Just hold your breath for that. Uh, um, yeah. And I don't, I'm, I'm busy when it comes to like godparent opportunities. I realized oh, that I was at the top of the list. You were. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, darn super it. busy. Yeah. I was right. Dang right there. It. But we will definitely accept Christmas and birthday presents. Oh, so feel oh, free to yeah. flood us with those. Perfect. Perfect. Also, uh, monthly diaper subscriptions are totally fine oh, too. Cool, cool, yeah. cool, 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 cool. Um, but no, so I'll be back in a few <laughs> weeks. I'll be back in a few weeks. I'm going to go have this baby right quick, but I know you'll hold things down and keep the music talk going in my absence. Yeah. The music talk's not going to go anywhere. We've got uh, a ton of people that will be joining us over the next few weeks. And remember, you can also hit us with who you want to hear from on these episodes. We love doing interactive stuff that keeps you guys interested and engaged. 
decades. We're just getting started here. So uh, on the heels of uh, we've had some really amazing guests, but they're going to continue to get better oh, and yeah. better as the podcast goes on. So let us know what you think. Remember, you can follow her at L Duncan ESPN. You can follow me at Jason Fitz and keep the conversation going. Thanks for listening. As always, guys, we appreciate Bye. it. Great job, Kyrie.